Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artist from scottartist.com. And I'm Heather Artist from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 19 of Dead Man's Chest. It's the weekend. Are we ready to get going? Oh, yeah, I'm ready for the weekend. It's been so, a short week, but I'm ready for the weekend. Exactly. I think we should just roll right into it. There's no uh, stalling like I'm doing now, so let's just do it. In the previous minute, Monkey Eye for the straight guy, realizing that tricorns are out and bandanas are in, takes it upon his simian self to rid the captain of his fashion faux pas. A swinging grab of Sparrow's hat, a flick of the wrist, and boom, that hat is floating peacefully in the Mediterranean. The motley crew in shock after seeing the newly unveiled Captain Jack Sparrow in all his bandana glory take a moment to honor Jack's new look. Unfortunately, the Sands Hat Captain is a little embarrassed and decides to hide and run from his fears. Minute 19 begins with the night turning to day, the fog lifting and the hat still floating on the Mediterranean. As the hat floats with the current, islands and a tall ship appear in the background the hat is fished from the water with a hook the minute ends with a couple of turkish sailors fighting about the newly discovered tricorn hat get that hat away from me the camera pulls out for a wide shot of the ship as the music continues to build to a climax i'm just gonna say it this minute leaves me less than satisfied well that's sad these poor turkish fishermen i don't get to talk about my latest jack the monkey hypothesis i know the great monkey captain hypothesis that surfaced in season one This is a whole new one, and it could very well shed new light on the relationship between the monkey and the captain. And you're still going to tease it? We're not going to talk about it Yeah, I'm going to tease it. We're not even getting it. But I want people to be aware of what's happening, how I teased it before, is that the monkey saves Jack. But we get a build-up here to the climax, but we don't actually get there. Damn you, minute 19. (laughs) And that might be our first euphemism for the day. What we do get, and this is not a euphemism, is... Turkish fishing boat action. Unless somebody has a euphemism out there for that, they can let us know, but I don't have one. Anyone up for Turkish fishing action? Uh, Let's get the fishing boat a rock and see. I can't. I can't come up with anything. I'm trying. I'm really trying my hardest. As crazy as it sounds, there is some information on the ship used for the fishing vessel. The one that we see here in this minute. Really? Yeah, because I really had to dig hard on this one. This minute, I really had to go for it. And for you lucky devils out there, that means uh, it's history time. Class is in session. We're going to get a bit of history. And when I say bit, probably the entire show. (laughs) Because (laughs) what you got here is not a lot of plot action that we see going on here. It's like a buildup. It's the wrapper to the plot and things that are going on in the movie. But it's like that little break in between. We don't really see 
and get anything in this particular minute that's related to it that we can tell except Jack's hat floating there and they pick it up. And three fishermen. Yeah, but everything else, though, is wrapped up. So if we were to just see this minute, we would go, what the hell is going on here? That's true. Nobody wants this hat. And then we see some big Leviathan whale thing skimming under the water. You missed that, didn't you? No, I I was questioning your uh, spoiler here. But it's not. We see it in the minute. We have to... We scrutinize you see and we analyze. something under the water. You don't see. But we have to take from the previous thing about a leviathan, so yeah. a sea creature. So that is putting what most people do, two and two together. <laughs> Heather, on the other hand, doesn't quite get there. Behind the scenes, the real ship we see here is the Providence. The Providence pulled double duty in this film as... The crew dressed the starboard side to portray the fishing boat that we see here, while the port side was used as a background British Navy ship, a sloop, in the Port Royal Harbor. Really? Yeah. Well, that's pretty clever. Those little tricksters. (laughs) Well, I get two boats when we can use one and just dress up the sides and turn it around. There you go. The Providence we see here is a replica that was built in 1976 to honor the original Providence's key role in the American Revolution. Some of you might recognize that year. Heather won't, but others will. 1976, the anniversary of 1776, and then all the coins. You had quarters. You used to see quarters floating around that would say 1976, 1776, 1976. This is all going over your head. Quarter is is like a piece of a dollar. I'm an idiot. (laughs) I'm an idiot? Yeah. The original Providence, we're going to move on and not even address that. Well, it was a big to-do. You're an idiot. In 1976. I wasn't around in 1976. I'm sorry. Well, I don't remember it either. So I'm just saying it was. And I remember the money. And I've had things that have been passed from family members, like stamps and things, that actually commemorate this. So it was a big deal to the people that were around. Well, I wasn't. I know we weren't around. Dang it. It's like, uh, I don't know what it's like. It's like a Leviathan just slapped me around in here. The original Providence was a merchant ship turned Navy ship and the first ship in Rhode Island's Navy. In addition to the naval ship and the fishing vessel, she portrayed a pirate ship in the movie as well. Maybe a background one, but we haven't got there. Triple duty, possibly, yes. Wow. I know, triple duty. Menage a boat action. Wow. To prepare the providence for the film, props were added to cover up the ship's modern instruments. The rigging was redone to look more traditional, and fiberglass was added to both sides of the ship. Or boat. Boat. Whatever you want to say. The ship was crewed by five who were given parts as extras as well. They look like three. Okay. Not these guys. These guys are actors. Different ones that'll be there. Like maybe the guy that's lazing about on the ship. Oh, he's uncredited, doesn't really have anything. He's hanging out there. Yeah. Wishing he wasn't sleeping. That's my guess at some point coming up. (laughs) But yeah, there you go. Trying to get me on a technicality. How dare you? Today, the Providence, though, is used to educate the public about life at sea with a classroom under the sales program. Now, that sounds like awesomeness. That it does. It also serves as Rhode Island's sailing ambassador at various sailing festivals as well. Very cool. In addition to this, the Providence has regularly scheduled public sales and can be chartered for pirate... (laughs) Pirate trips. Private trips. (laughs) (laughs) You can rent the Providence if you need to do some plundering. (laughs) Some, uh... Pirate trips. Yeah, that's it. That's what we're going to do. And then uh, in the news, it says that somebody was uh, attacked by an old tall wooden ship. But yeah, more private charters. There we go. Let's just say that. She is crewed by volunteers. And it really does sound like we need to charter this 
I agree. Ship is a maybe like a Pirates of the Caribbean minute outing, a listener get together. Yes, that would be a great idea. That would be sweet. I like that idea. But isn't there an actual pirate ship like in Florida or something you can charter? I don't know. What's wrong? You don't, oh, you don't like the Providence? Well, it's not you a weren't pirate real, ship. You weren't real up on the 1976, 1776 thing. So apparently that's not a big deal to you. So yeah. now you want something else. You just want a pirate ship to charter. Okay, maybe we'll huh? look for a pirate ship to charter. I don't know. We'll see what we can do. Not this season, folks. Don't get your tricorns in an uproar or whatever you would call it. Don't get your bilge rats in a... No, I don't know. The original USS Providence was a sloop in the Continental Navy and chartered by Rhode Island General Assembly as Katie. So that was the original name, Katie. The ship took part in a number of campaigns during the first half of the American Revolutionary War before being destroyed by her own crew in 1779 to prevent her from falling into the hands of the British after the failed Penobscot Expedition. Penobscot? Yeah, I'm sure everyone remembers the Penobscot Expedition out there, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, That's what I said. Good. We have the smartest audience. That's all I had to say. Can't wait to title this episode, The Penobscot Expedition. (laughs) People go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Remember learning about that. And unlike what I just told you, I do have some interesting stats on the Providence. As mentioned, she was first named Katie, because we already got that one out of the way. But she cost $1,250 to build in 1775. That's it? That's it. Wow. I'll take one of those. Thank you. She is a sloop, as I already mentioned, which is a sailing boat with a single mast and a fore-aft rig. A sloop has only one head sail, and if a vessel has two or more head sails, the term cutter is used. Which I think everybody out there has probably heard the term cutter before. Yes, we have. And that sounds like I'm pushing canned responses On again. On the news, button. cutter. Cutter. Saying it multiple times isn't going to help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just saying it just doesn't, doesn't help you. Anyways, she was approximately 65 feet long, had a beam length of 20 feet, carried a complement of six officers, 22 seamen, and 26 marines. So it wasn't exactly tiny. No, it's not tiny. When you say boat, then... I was using their terms. It sounds tiny. Well, 65 feet's not bad. With all those people on board, too. Had to be pretty crowded. And she was outfitted with 12 four-pounder cannons and 14 railside swivel guns. I know. I wish I could remember what I told you those were called way back in season one. Gunter Cannons. Gunter Cannons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you bought it hook, line, and sinker. Hopefully no one out there is going, oh, look at mom. There's the Gunter Cannon. (laughs) Or better yet, the parents are now telling their kids, hey, Billy, that's a Gunter Cannon. And they're screwing everybody up. We have now created generations of people that don't know what swivel guns are called. One of her five captains was the notable... John Paul Jones. Have you heard of John Paul Jones? You've never heard of John Paul Jones. Just no. not even walking around the streets. No. <laughs> like the, the maritime streets. I know you're from a sailing village. But you've never heard of John Paul Jones. Honestly. I mean, he's pretty famous. At least just the name. I think there's even a John Paul Jones Society for crying out loud. Yeah. In your fishing village, you know? God. <laughs> he was basically the United States' first well-known naval commander. Well, almost well-known, apparently. Not quite. And in the American Revolutionary War. That was his, his claim to fame. I can and- barely remember your name. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's the tie that binds us. Our relationship is like Jack and the monkey. We hiss at each other. <laughs> 
It's John Paul Jones is sometimes referred to as the father of the American Navy. Oh, I know him now. No, you don't. Get out of here. Let's get on to something exciting. Our two fishermen, because I had no transition there. So just, let's get the hell out of there. Our two fishermen are exciting? No, well, they can be, because they're aptly named. Their names are quite telling. Short sailor and large sailor. I always like the descriptive credits that these guys get. Surprisingly, there was some thought behind the fishermen, besides just indicating a couple of Turkish guys in the script here, because this is a Turkish fishing. Fishing? <laughs> I swear to God, every time I got to say Turkish in prison or fishing vessel, it never comes out. Every time you say Turkish, I think prison. <laughs> I don't know why. Do you like movies about gladiators? No, because the Turkish prison in this movie. Oh, not the airplane no. thing. Okay. So anyways, yes, a Turkish fishing God dang it, vessel. <laughs> and this is where we're at because I'm not going to go over that again. Turkish it does go far fishing. enough. Thank you. We've already moved yeah. along now. It does go far enough because it's realized in the film that these two guys are actually Cypriots, meaning they are from Cyprus. Oh, okay. There you go. That's what a person from Cyprus is called. They're Cypriots. Cypriots. Not only that, because Cyprus has Greek and Turkish along with a few other ethnicities that really make up this this country. Oh, really? Yeah. So these two represent the cultural mixing pot. Short Sailor, played by Nedge Adamson, is a Turkish Cypriot. I can't, man, I can't say Turkish. Whenever I need to say it, I can't say it. But then if it just flows out, it just flows out. And therefore is actually speaking Turkish, specifically the Cypriot dialect. Meanwhile, Large Sailor, played by Jimmy Rusonis, is a Greek and is speaking Cypriot Greek dialect. They're both speaking different languages, essentially, and dialects of Cyprus. And as near as I can translate without spending too much time doing it, they're saying what kind of the gist of it is, is I'm captain, no, you're captain, I'm captain, kind of a deal here. The other thing they have in common, besides being Cyprus and being on this fishing vessel, is they really do need to see a dentist. Have you seen these guys' yeah, teeth? Yeah, their teeth are bad. God dang, the 18th century and the teeth. Yeah. They need serious help with that. Get some dental hygiene going. Yeah, they got serious problems. I mean... Get these guys to a dentist pronto. <laughs> that should have been a priority back in the day. Yeah. Seriously. Of all the other things, you should have been getting dental work. It wasn't important. That should have been where every money in the world was going at the time. Not in developing nations or anything like that. Just it should have been dental work. hygiene. All the way back. Cro-Magnon. You know, Australopithecus. All of these guys. You know, they're sitting there. They, they're seeing each other's teeth. They see, you know, what is going on? Why are our teeth so shabby compared to our, say, chimpanzees and other apes and things like that? Okay, we changed our diet. So, you know what that means? We need to get pronto on dental work here because this is ridiculous. Man, that just that just is not good. Too much sugar. So, you go back in time. I think you bring a boatload of toothpaste and toothbrushes if you're good going idea. back in time. Yeah. You might be the richest person ever if you could start selling that stuff. But you want to make sure you have a load of it yourself because you don't want to run out. Right. Man, those guys needed some fluoride in the water or something. And I think that they, for the director, because I can't get off the teeth thing yet, is Verbinski, he, I think he was just happy to put this in there and have them smiling away while they're trying on the hat just so they could focus in on the teeth and the, 
the good makeup and effects work that they did to do that. They I were, think that's what it has to be. They were very happy about the hat. They were happy about the hat. The, the teeth, though, I just couldn't get over it. <laughs> I really couldn't. Last season, I had an issue with teeth This season and dirt. This season, you have an issue with teeth and dirt? I guess. I don't know. They they were smiling away, though. But you got to take were. care of those choppers. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need them a long time. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe not so long back then. That's true. Not as long as you do now. Because I don't have another transition. I'm just going to jump right into it. <laughs> I don't have much to say on this particular topic. Maybe that'll be my transition. But we do get a sneak peek at the terrible beastie. Davy Jones's Leviathan, kind of. I mean, it's like rudimentary at best. But it I like this. It's like something under the water. Yeah. Maybe well, it's a submarine. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> this, this episode has gone downhill. And I, and I formally apologize to everybody listening to it. But I like the suspense of not seeing what's actually under the water. We get like this obscured view from below the water of this massive sea creature thing moving towards the. Or submarine. Fishing ship boat. Yeah. That's what's expected, though. I mean, it's way too early in the movie to give us a look at this creature that's after Jack. Are you sure? Yeah, I think it would just ruin the whole thing. I mean, we always want to see what it looks like right away, but we know from other movies, as watching movies, that they never show you the creature that quickly. It's Very always true. It's always to Obscured. build that suspense. You have to work up to showing it. So then when you do finally see it, you're just amazed and wowed or frightened. Yes. And that's what happens here. What is interesting is that the creature is moving towards their boat after the hat was fished out of the water and the sailors put it on. Mm. That's something to keep in the back of your mind. We will have to really see what happens next on Monday. And that might be related to my new monkey hypothesis. Oh, yeah. Why the monkey? Oh. Uh-huh. Now that's she's catching on. That's right. Very interesting. Because this is the uh, episode of No Transitions. i don't have anything to say except okay there is kind of because i talked about this terrible beastie that's remaining unnamed at this current time at least for the second here but i do like the buildup of music in this minute it follows nicely with this increase in pace that we were talking about in the previous minutes yeah with jack starting to run around getting frightened in the whole bootstrap visit because now this music is is really ramping up. And on the official soundtrack, it's actually track number 10. And its listed title is You Look Good, Jack. But in the expanded score by Hans Zimmer, it's called Rum Locker. So the t- soundtrack title refers to Bootstrap's line when they first see each other. You look good, Jack. Yeah. And then the expanded title, or the expanded soundtrack title, is naming it after the locked room in the ship where the rum is kept. Hmm. So there you go. Very interesting. The track begins slowly with dark notes and a low-riding ostinato building up until a drop-off leaving a heartbeat pulse, which is pretty cool. Sounds like a really good glass of wine. It does, actually. (laughs) It's describing wine. The orchestra picks up with strong brass and tight strings, and it cuts to silence before introducing a thrashing, this kind of sounding like an electric guitar kind of rendition of the Cursed Pirates theme from Swords Crossed. It calms down again, leaving a slowly building brass line until dropping into a deep electronic bass version of the opening of The Kraken. Spoilers. Again, backed by the heartbeat pulse. The track ends with a dramatic swell, which is where we're at now. This dramatic swell. It's kind of building up right at the end here. Because the track accompanies Jack Sparrow's reunion with bootstrap Bill Turner when they're on board the Black Pearl. 
And then his subsequent running through the ship, getting on deck and commanding the crew, the escape, trying to find land and all that. Yeah. And then it also culminates here at the Turkish fishing boat action. Oh, okay. So although the soundtrack seems to utilize electric guitars, apparently Zimmer was protesting and pretty adamant that no guitars were actually used in the score. Oh, really? So I guess he didn't take kindly to people saying there was guitars in it. Huh. But that's what I like. And I think that shows the power of how the music can can give you that feeling of suspense. And that's where this calm and the swell. But unfortunately, the minute ends right at this like crucial time. It does. Man, it's a bummer. Because it's a crucial time for just even for the music that we're talking about. It has like this, you know, it kind of so it kind of falls into a silence in this dramatic swell right before that. But then the minute ends before we get to any of that climax there. Of what happens, Where? what was this beast doing under there? Because we do hear it clunk the boat and yeah. it gets all these guys frightened, or these two guys frightened, and the music is accompanying it, and then boom, our minute ends. When we get that wide shot panned out. Yeah. Damn that minute. <laughs> I swear. There's so much to like about like the music here, but just even the way that the music works with the cinematography that's going on. Let me go back first before I say that. I failed to mention, since I mentioned now mentioned about a thousand times i said mention the cinematography and the tracking of jack as he runs through the ship rousing the crew I completely yeah. forgot to talk about that because the camera catches in between wooden slats which is just perfect we get glimpses of light and dark but it goes so quickly it almost completes like this full image for us of him running there and that's what is cool it's, uh, it just for some reason it reminds me of like an old timey movie reel Oh, that's, okay. You know, being yeah. maybe hand cranked or something, and you see kind of black between the frames, right? And that's what it, it reminded me of. It like strobes. Yeah, it's like a strobe effect, and I did like that. But why I brought up cinematography today is because the standout moment for me in this minute is the hat on the water. It so reminds me of the floating dress in Curse of the Black Pearl. Oh yeah. There's like a running theme with this movie, like with clothing and water just floating there. There's got to be a symbolic nature like for floating clothes, it. right? <laughs> it does. It really looks cool, though. Yeah. I can understand why they keep doing it. And I I guess I could try and come up with a symbol for it, but I don't have one offhand. But I just like the fact that the hat is floating there and then gets picked up. But we actually kind of follow it. It turns from night to day and then it's found. And so I, there's a lot of elements with that that's pretty cool because it A, shows us kind of the passage of how much time has gone by right. since that. Or at least gives us an idea of that. But... It gives us that cool look of the shot of this hat floating on the water. We've already had cool stuff with coffins floating on the water. So I really think that they're, you know, they go all out here in yeah. the movie with these type of unique shots. I don't know. Did you have anything else to say on on anything in this particular minute? Yeah, I wanted to mention. Um, even You're though- going to say mention too after I've already said the word mention like 8 billion times? Yeah. Okay. We talk about the nature of superstition and pirates or mm. seamen. In general. And you notice it doesn't pass these two guys by. They're also superstitious. When they hear the thump, they start passing the hat back and forth and then finally drop it. Yeah. Because they're afraid that the hat actually caused something bad. Yeah, that's the thing. I wonder if there's some kind of floating hat. Maybe it's more superstition or something. something like that. Because that's the first thing that they grab out of the water. Then they hear a thump. Maybe there's some old fishing superstition about if you grab something out of the water, there's bad luck with it. I don't know. I didn't look that up. That'd be something to do that with. Maybe it's something that belonged to a dead person. 
Well, that's what I was wondering. You know, you kind of along those lines. If there's something to that, if you bring up a body or some article of clothing or something that belonged to a dead person, if it's bad luck, because they are quick to jump to that conclusion. Yeah. As opposed to, hey, we found this. Ha- what the hell was that? Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing, it's like Gibbs. All these guys are really superstitious. We know sailors were superstitious at the time. Yeah. But they, that is really their first conclusion is to go, oh, my God, get this hat away from me. Yeah, it's obviously the hat that did it. As opposed to something else. So that's, that's what I think is interesting. So I don't know if that's a real superstition that's linked to that or if it's really just furthering the plot of the movie along to give us that clue. Yeah. Is that a director's choice? Is that a writer's choice to have it act like that as opposed to... Maybe that there's some superstition there, but, you know, let's further the plot along. Let's really link this to the audience right away that this is the cause of maybe, or they think this is the cause of something hitting their boat. Yeah. And so that's what what I don't know. I kind of imagine that they did that as just a device to really link that to the audience right away. Like, something is after Jack immediately. Yeah. And... Now it's coming for him. And so they're tr- it's trying to continue that pace, that quick pace along that time is of the essence. The clock is running out that we see with Jack. And now we're seeing that furthered and pushed on us uh, just by the hat and the sailors here. Yeah. So before we get out of here for the weekend, though, I think it's time for really bad eggs. We really just got to we got to put this to bed. We got to get out of here for the weekend. We got to put this minute to sleep. And that's the segment of every Friday's show where we present our favorite lines of the week. And let me just say this. It's a very special Really Bad Eggs. A tribute, if you will, to those unsung 18th century Turkish sailors. <laughs> Heather, what do you have for us today? Vanga stay ardo. Nice. <laughs> I didn't know you uh, were a fluent speaker of Greek, especially the dialect Cypriot. Yes, I was. Congratulations Thank on that. Thank you. So you were just uh, studying all this time just for this one episode. You got that right. It's dedication. To Greek over the last, over the, while we were on break. Not just Greek, but Cypriot Greek. Cypriot Greek. So what do you, <laughs> got to tell us about it. You can't just leave us hanging. I know it's not, <laughs> it's, this isn't pirate word of the week where you just drop one off and then leave. <laughs> you actually got to tell us why you chose this. So this is the bigger of the two fishermen, or taller of the two fishermen. And he is... Large sailor. Large sailor. Don't disparage him by not telling him by his name. That's like calling him dude. <laughs> just say... Dude. Call him by his name. Large sailor. It's a large dude. So this is when he takes the hat from the other dude. There's only two people here. <laughs> they don't even have real... <laughs> Big names. It's short sailor and large sailor. How difficult is this to remember? This is when the large sailor takes the hat from the short sailor. Yeah. And puts it on his head. He says, Vangas de Aro, which means proper dandy. As best we could tell, probably. Yes. <laughs> from what we could find. Matt is actually finding out from somebody who... Speaks Greek, although not necessarily Cypriot, but there is some similarity. So that was kind of the best yeah. that he could come up with. Yep. Mine comes from, oh, did you have a reason you chose that though? Or did you just wanted to... This guy was so proud to be putting on this hat. He thought he looked so good in it. And, you know, I'm not sure how much longer we're going to see these guys in this movie. So I figured I should probably come up with a line from them because I'm not sure... 
still going to be around for very long. I'll accept it, kind of. Mine, it's good! What are you talking good. about? It's good. I like the line. I really like the line. He was so happy he about it. He was happy about it. Okay, I'll take it. Mine comes from Short Sailor. Notice that I actually gave him the respect <laughs> he deserves by t- saying his name. In minute 19 here, he says, After finding the hat, Jack's hat floating, Fopesa Capuzin Capitan de la Mazanda. And as near as I can figure, given the words that I have are not necessarily written in traditional Cypriot Turkish, which actually makes it a bit hard to translate, even with Google and every other dictionary out there, it's something to the effect of, hey, I have a new career as a captain. <laughs> or this is my new career as captain. Something to that effect. So, you know, I really, I like the line. Besides Heather taking the, the much better line? Venga de Oro, because doesn't everyone want to be their own captain? Even if for a day, in their job, or at a, their home, or something. Oh, I am captain. What is a fake captain called? Uh, what is what is it when you patronize? You're a patronized captain. No, I am captain. It's a confidence booster. That's why some people let others pretend to be captain. <laughs> to boost their confidence. So, hey, go be captain of your own weekend. That's what I uh, have to say about that. That's why I chose it. Awesome. Yeah, so there we go. Minute uh, 19, the dreaded Turkish fisherman incident of 2018 <laughs> <laughs> has now ended. There we go. And we got a little history to go along with it. So that's all I got. We'll be back next week, unless you have anything else. Nope, that's it for me. Okay, we'll be back next week with Minute 20 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling. And as a tribute to these guys for potentially, if there was a spoiler of Calamity, (laughs) let's keep the fishing to a minimum this weekend. Let's just do that for their sake. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew Listeners Group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.